partnership with Jake and Ginger and Timber to the point where we're able to help them to uh, do the ministry that God's called them to do there in Lesotho. That includes, but not as, not as just specific to, but it includes helping them feed and clothe the folks in the lowlands and in the highlands, the villages that in the city. It helps us. We're able to partner with them to help get Bibles uh, to these folks who are in the highlands and the lowlands, and that's a big emphasis right now with their ministry. We're also able to help them meet the needs and the emergencies that arise at a moment's notice that happens quite often now because of all the challenges that are going on in regards to the virus that we see here, but also that they are seeing there. And so I have two pictures to share with you. The first picture is of these three gentlemen, and Jake and Ginger sent these two pics. This is of these three gentlemen who are holding Bibles. As you can see there, hopefully you can see in the picture, they're, they're holding Bibles through our partnership that uh, they were able to receive. And the third gentleman, the one on the right, the far right, is Teboho. And Teboho recently, over the last couple of weeks, prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. Yes, yes. And they are continuing to minister to his friends. The second picture uh, is uh, this is uh, Intelani, and Intelani was a part of Ginger's Bible study. And Intelani, over the last couple of weeks, also prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord in one of Ginger's Bible studies. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And Ginger shared this. When she received that Bible that you see her holding in her hand, she immediately began to kiss the Bible. She received it as a gift uh, so that she could study uh, the Word of God. Our God is an awesome God. Amen? He is at work in His world. To God be the glory for the great things He's doing here, the great things He's doing in Lesotho and throughout His world. This is just one more example that we're able to say and respond to this news with go, God, go. Say that with me. Go, God, go. He is an awesome, almighty God. And so Jake and Ginger and Timber, they've asked us to pray for them. And so let's do that right now. Let's bow in prayer. And the specific prayer request that they're asking for is that they may continue to be able to get out to the city there in Masiru, the lowlands, but also to be able to continue making their way into the highlands, into the villages, to continue doing ministry. They've been restricted because of the restrictions of the virus. Things have opened up a little bit, but they're not sure which way it's going to go. And so they are building bridges, doing effective ministry, and we're going to join with them in praying this morning that God would continue allowing those doors to remain open so that these folks could hear the good news of the gospel, read the good news of the gospel, and receive the good news of the gospel by their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Father God, we come this morning and we thank you for Jake and Ginger and Timber. We thank you, Father God, for your work in them and through them and around them. Father, we thank you that you are at work. You're an awesome God. You're an almighty God. You're at work there in Lesotho and Macero uh, through their ministry and their teammates' ministry there in that country. And Father God, we pray that you would continue your work. God, would you continue to bring glory, honor, and praise to your name through all the ministries, through all the ways that they are able to reach out to those around them with the good news of the 
the gospel. God, we pray specifically that they would be allowed the freedom to continue going to the people, going to the villages, going to where these people are so that they can preach and teach and share the gospel so they can make sure Bibles are in their hands and God, so they can continue to minister to all those around them in the most effective ways possible. God, we thank you for all that you have done. We give you praise for what you are doing, and we are excited about what you are still going to do in the days to come. I pray that you will bless them even now. I pray that you administer to and through them even now. And Father God, we thank you for the gosses. We thank you for the people of the Sutu and how you're ministering to them. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Well, open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. We are continuing our study through Galatians, and we have seen already in our study of chapter 3 that Paul confronted the believers in the churches in Galatea because they were turning away from God and the truth of the gospel to follow the false teachers, their false teaching, which was focused on works for God. Doing the works of the law is the way to get to God. Paul taught that faith in Jesus is the only way to get to God. Paul made this point clear, and Paul's words to these followers years ago are still true for us today. No one is declared right with God by their works for God. We are justified. We are declared right with God by faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation is about Jesus, not us. Salvation is about what Jesus did for us, not what we can do for him. As scripture tells us, God has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in him, in Christ Jesus. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. My salvation and your salvation is in Christ Jesus. Amen? It's in Christ. However, the battle between faith and works that we see here in this passage, is still alive and well today. The confusion about faith and works and how they relate with one another is still alive and well today. A couple of ways that faith and works get distorted today. The first is we overemphasize works. We overemphasize works. This is the challenge that Paul was writing in Galatians to confront. We believe, and and overemphasizing works is the belief that we have to work our way to God, that we are made right with God by our works for God. And the works in Paul's day included circumcision, obedience to Old Testament law, obedience to the dietary laws of the Old Testament, the festivals, the ceremonies, all the regulations and rules in the Old Testament. That was the way someone would be able to be declared right with God. The works today include baptism, Helping others includes going to church or obeying God's commands in God's word. These are some of the works today that people believe doing these works is what equals our relationship with God. You see, our enemy Satan loves to convince us that faith in Jesus is not enough, that it's too easy. There's no way that a relationship with God and eternity with God in heaven could all be by grace. That's that's too easy. You have to have a part to play. No, the only way that you're ever going to get 
to heaven is you got to do good works. You've got a part to play. It can't be that easy that it's all based on grace through faith. A danger of overemphasizing works is pride. A danger of overemphasizing works is pride. We boast and post about all that we know about God, all that we're doing for God, how much time we spend with God, as if God is lucky to have us on his team. The truth is, the only thing that we can boast in is that we know the Lord God Almighty by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God's grace is sufficient for us, and his power is perfected in our weakness. We can be strong in the Lord and in his vast strength. Remember, as I've shared many times before, Satan does not care that we are here this morning together. What he cares about is us not applying what God is sharing with us through his word in our lives today and this week. He doesn't care so much about us getting the word What he cares about is us applying the word in our day-to-day lives. And so we see one way that faith and works gets distorted is to overemphasize faith. A second way is de-emphasize works. We overemphasize works or we de-emphasize works. This belief is that we don't have to do anything. We're saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, so we're good. We're secure in Christ. We can sit back and relax. We don't have to do anything. A danger of de-emphasizing works is laziness. De-emphasizing works lessens our incentive to live what we learn from God's Word. James told us, don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so we see Satan years ago, still today, will try to get us to one of these extremes to keep us from God and applying the truth of his Word in our lives. God's word is clear on this point. God's word is abundantly clear, Old Testament and New Testament. Good works are not a requirement for salvation, but good works are a result of salvation. Make sure you understand this. This is clear in the word of God. Good works are not a requirement for salvation, but good works are a result of of salvation. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is God's gift, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I like what many Bible scholars and pastors have said before, faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. You see, what Paul is reminding us of is this. When God saved us, he placed his Holy Spirit in us, and his Holy Spirit dwells within us to empower us to live his way, to empower us to do the good works that God has prepared ahead of time for us to do, to empower us to bless one another, to empower us to be kind and compassionate to one another, to empower us to comfort one another, to confront one another in love, to empower us to encourage one another, to forgive one another, to give generously to God so that we can meet one another's needs, to empower us to love one another, to live in unity with one another, to empower us to pray with and for one another, to empower us to serve one another, to empower us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit 
and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us in his word. You see, we demonstrate our faith in God by our obedience to God, by doing the good works which God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. We do these good works in God's strength, not ours, for God's glory, not ours. And so we see Paul corrected these believers. He was trying to correct these believers, to bring them back to focus spiritually on their walk with the Lord. And as we've shared recently, he corrected them in a few ways. Let's look at these ways that he corrected them. First, Paul used the example of their faith. Paul shared the gospel of grace with these believers in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. The gospel they heard, they believed, and they received by faith in Jesus, not by doing works for God. He reminded them of this. Secondly, we see Paul use the example of Abraham's faith. Paul used the example of Abraham from the Old Testament in verses 6 through 9 to show that justification by faith was taught in the Old Testament, not just in the New. In verse 6 of chapter 3, just like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. He trusted God. God declared Abraham, all the way back to the Old Testament, beginning of the Old Testament, God declared Abraham was right with him because of Abraham's belief, faith, and trust in him, not because of his works for God. And Paul said the way to God, the Old Testament and New Testament, has always been and will always be by faith, not works. And then we see the third way he corrected them was Paul used the example of the curse of the Old Testament law. He used the curse of the Old Testament law. In verse 10, Paul wrote, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Paul reminded these believers and us in verses 10 through 14 that we cannot obey all the law all the time because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all turned away from God in our sin against God. And he shared with us the curse of the law that we are now under is death. It's eternity in hell separated from God because of our sin against God because the wages of sin is death. But here in verses 10 through 14, Paul reminded them, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you look and continue to read in verse 13, Christ Jesus, Paul said, has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus bore our punishment for sin on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord. Jesus redeemed us. He purchased our freedom from sin, Satan, and death by his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection. So we are now right with God. We are blessed by God. We receive the Holy Spirit from God by faith in Christ Jesus, which then allows us to live for God in his strength for his glory. And so we see, once again, Paul was encouraging these believers. It's almost like a tug of war that was going on. Paul had left these believers, so he's writing this letter to them. False teachers were there trying to turn them away from what God was doing, trying to turn them away from the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. And Paul was encouraging them to get right, to get back to the truth. And now we pick back up in verse 15. 
Paul writes, brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Real quick, Paul answered a possible objection that we're going to see here in this passage from the false teachers about his use of the example of Abraham in regards to evidence for justification by faith. The objection that we're going to look at is simply this from the false teachers as they were continuing to try to lead these believers away. God gave the law to Moses hundreds and hundreds of years after God made his covenant promise with Abraham. Therefore, God's covenant promise with Abraham is nullified. It's nullified. And it's the law now, not the covenant promise. So Paul's going to address this false teaching. He says in verse 15, brothers and sisters, notice once again here, Paul reminded these believers of his love for them. He said, brethren, he said, brothers and sisters, he said, my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. He loved these believers. Now I want you to notice the change from verse 1 to verse 15. Look back at verse 1. How did Paul introduce himself to these believers at the beginning of verse chapter 3, verse 1? You foolish Galatians. Now in verse 15, it's almost like Paul's kind of taking a deep breath. <sighs> my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, reminding him of his love for them. He loves them. He says, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. So Paul used a human illustration. What he was saying was this. Uh, when people enter into a contract, even back then, a will or a contract, uh, they enter into an agreement, a contract, and that contract cannot be changed without the agreement of both parties. If people into a contract together, into a will, into a contract together, then the terms of the contract can't be changed without the agreement of both parties. And Paul's point is, how much more so God and his covenants, because God is faithful to meet and to fulfill all his covenants and promises in his word. He was reminding them God made a covenant promise with Abraham to make him a great nation, to bless him, and to bless all nations through him. God's covenant with Abraham was one of grace to Abraham. God's covenant with Abraham was one of blessing through Abraham. As we shared recently, God's covenant with Abraham called for faith from Abraham. This covenant was given to Abraham. And what these false teachers were coming around now and what they were telling these believers in these churches was simply this. Since God gave the law to Moses hundreds and hundreds of years after the covenant promised to Abraham, then that covenant promise is nullified. It's no longer good, which now means because of the law of Moses, that works, doing works of the law is the way to get to God. Because that was their base teaching anyways. It was you do, we get to God by our works for God. And now that he said, the, now they said the promise of Abraham is out, the law of Moses is in, so works is the way to God. And what Paul was telling these believers here in verse 15 is no one, especially these false teachers, these false teachers cannot change, alter, nullify, add to, or subtract from God's covenant of grace and promise to Abraham. So that's not possible. 
They just can't say that and do that. You can't believe that. And then he continues in verse 16. Now the promises, so he's going to continue here. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one. And to your seed, who is Christ. And let's look at this. Paul said, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The promised covenant of God with Abraham was a covenant of grace to Abraham. Abraham, I am going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless all nations through you. I am going to make your name great. Whoever blesses you, I'll bless. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. Abraham believed God. He trusted God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But Paul now is saying here, he's making this point. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ. So he's saying the promise of God, the covenant promise of God to Abraham was to Abraham and to his seed, singular, and not to his seeds, plural. The seed is Jesus Christ. So God's covenant promise to Abraham was one of justification, of righteousness, of salvation by faith, not works, because the blessing of God was going to come to all peoples and all nations. The blessing of God was going to come to the Gentiles, all peoples and all nations, through Abraham, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the seed of Abraham. So he's helping them understand this covenant promise wasn't just to Abraham, but it was to his seed, that being Jesus Christ, and to all who will believe and receive Jesus. And then he continues, uh, continues making his point. Verse 17, my point is this. He says, here it is. I'll summarize it. My point is this. He's telling you guys, listen to this. Read this. Understand this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. Paul's saying, listen, the fact that God gave the law to Moses hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after God made his covenant promise with Abraham doesn't mean that God's covenant promise with Abraham is now null and void and canceled. He was helping them understand this key point. When God gave the law to Moses, God's covenant promise with Abraham had not yet been fulfilled because Christ Jesus had not yet come to earth to rescue us from our sins by his work on the cross of Calvary. Therefore, as Paul was reminding them, as he looked back at this Old Testament, he said, listen, the covenant promise of Abraham through his seed, Jesus Christ, was still in effect when God gave the law to Moses. And, oh, by the way, it's still in effect today. 
Paul was reminding them. Paul continued to teach, preach, and declare the way to God was by faith, not works. Paul said the covenant promise of God to Abraham showed how to get to God, which is by faith. He said the law of God given to Moses showed how to live for God, which is by obedience. Israel, if they obeyed the law of God, if they obeyed God, what would happen? They would receive the blessings of God. Moses made this clear in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. If Israel disobeyed the law of God, if they disobeyed God, they would receive God's curses and discipline. And so what he's reminding them of is the law points us to the need that we have for Jesus because, as he'd already said, the law helps us to understand we cannot obey the law all the time. And so he's saying the law of Moses does not nullify or replace the covenant promise of Abraham. It actually highlights it because he was reminding these believers of what the law meant to these folks back in the Old Testament times, but now what it means to them. And the law serves as a reminder to these believers that they can't do all the law. They can't obey all the law all the time, which is what the law requires, which points them and points everyone to the need for Jesus Christ. And so what he's reminding them of is of this. The amazing truth of the gospel today for you and me is the same as it was years and years ago. The amazing truth of the gospel is simply this. Though we are incapable of meeting God's standard of perfection, though we are incapable of obeying all the law all the time, though we are incapable of obeying God's word every day in every way, though we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, though we have all turned away from God based on our sin against God, though there is no one righteous, no, not one, God in his amazing covenant of grace and promise to Abraham through his seed, Jesus Christ, which includes you and me today, this covenant of grace is available to everyone who will believe in and receive Jesus Christ by faith in him, not through works for him. This means we are saved, we are safe, we are secure, and we are strong in Christ Jesus. What a blessing. What a blessing for you and for me. He's reminding them that listen, it's not about what we do, it's about what's been done. It's not about our works, it's about how we will just simply receive this covenant of grace and promise that is ours through Abraham, all the way back to Abraham, in Christ Jesus. This is awesome, a great fun opportunity. Maybe it's something you have kind of looked away from and you've kind of never read before and never uh, really dwelled on and thought about much. But if you go back to the beginning of the book of Matthew, if you look in the first chapter of Matthew, what you see is a lot of begat, 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 begat. And you see a lot of long names that you probably can't pronounce and you wouldn't certainly name your kids after with those names today. You see a lot of names, but what you're going to find is at the end of that list is Christ Jesus. And as you make your way back up that list, guess who you're going to find? You're going to find Abraham. You're going to find Abraham. Old Testament, New Testament, cover to cover. The continuity 
of the word of God, the message of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus is there every step of the way. What an encouragement that is for us today. And Paul's helping these believers to remember this truth. They can get back to living according to this truth. And then he continues in verse 18, for if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. So he's saying, if the inheritance, the blessing of Abraham is the inheritance, if the inheritance is the blessing of Abraham, if being declared right with God by faith in God is based on the law, if it's based on the law, it's no longer based on the promise, which means if it's based on the law, that means we got to work our way to God because works is what is required by the law. But he said, but God has graciously given it to us, to, given it to Abraham through the promise. So he's reaffirming this key central point. The false teachers continued to teach the way to God is by works for God. And the false teachers, to prove their point, they pointed back to the law of Moses. They pointed to the law of Moses as the evidence for their case because the law of Moses is based on works. And what Paul did was Paul preached, Paul taught, Paul continued to write that the only way to God is by faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul pointed back to Abraham and Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, as the evidence that the way to God is through faith. And that the works of the law help to identify and clarify and extend that message. It doesn't nullify, replace or change the message. And so we see once again, what Paul is reminding these believers is this, grace came before the law because grace is greater than the law. Grace came before the law because grace is greater than the law. And we'll see how this fleshes out for us today. What's our application then today for you and me? How can we put this truth into practice in our lives? What are some things that we can do? One, first, real simply, is we need to rejoice in God's grace once again. We need to rejoice in the grace of God. We see this in this passage here again. We can rejoice in God's grace. God's covenant promise of grace with Abraham came from the very beginning. Remember, God's covenant promise of grace with Abraham was before Israel was even a nation, before the law had been even given to Moses, and that covenant of grace still stands today. We know this. Remember, we believe in one God expressed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. And we know all three have been always existent. They've existed from time uh, immortal all the way back. They've always been. This is a, co a core doctrine of our belief in Christ Jesus. We believe this truth. So that means at the beginning in creation, who was at work in creation? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That means who was at work when this covenant promise uh, of God was made with Abraham? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So what we know, in fact, is that God actually preached the gospel to Abraham when he made this covenant promise with Abraham that he would bless all nations through Abraham, through his seed, who would be Christ Jesus. This grace came before the law. 
law. And so we now are able to see the law came along to identify our need for God, our need for the Savior, the Messiah, who the Old Testament predicted, the New Testament announced, and that is Jesus Christ. And Paul said Christ Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He bore our punishment for sin. He purchased our freedom from sin, Satan, and death by his perfect life, his death, burial, and resurrection. For by grace we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so that none of us can boast. And there is no one or nothing that can separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. We have every reason to rejoice in the amazing grace of God. Amen? Wow, we have every reason to rejoice in God's grace to us. And he continues to pour it out to us. He continues. And we see this if we will just take a moment each day just to focus in on the Lord and his grace to us. And I see this so many times when, when challenges are coming my way, when difficulties, when frustrations just seem to continue to pile up, when everything just seems to, to be against and not for us. And man, when I get in those times of struggle, it just seems like everything is not working out the way it's supposed to. It's not happening the way I had hoped it would happen. It's not happening maybe even in the ways I'm praying it's happened. Man, I'm telling you, God, by his Holy Spirit, will convict me, and he'll just remind me, even in those times, even when we're at our lowest, even when we're at our weakest, even when it looks like everyone's left us, even when it looks like we can't take another step, even when it looks like everything is against us and we don't have any chance, any hope, his grace. just reminds of his amazing grace. The grace that has been given to me that allows me to even cry out to him. To even to process the difficult emotions at times that I have in regards to him and his work. It's that grace we can rejoice in the amazing grace of God. Secondly, trust in God's faithfulness. We see this in this word. If we see this all throughout this word, we, we, we can't miss this. It's everywhere. Trust in the faithfulness of God. God lovingly reminded these believers to trust in his faithfulness. He reminded them, listen, the law of Moses didn't nullify the promised covenant with Abraham. But as God is faithful to all his covenants and promises. God will fulfill all his covenants and promises in his word. He'll fulfill all his promises to you and to me. You and I know this well very much. We've seen this in our own lives. A promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. A promise is only as, the one, as good as the one who's making the promise. And there's no one better at making a keeper of promises than our Almighty God. We can trust in his faithfulness to his promises. He who started a good work in us at the moment of salvation will carry on that work in us to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work in us, and he will continue to give us the desire and the strength to do his good purposes for us. We can trust and know that God will meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. If we will humble ourselves before the Lord, he will be faithful to lift us up in his time, which is the right time. If we cast our cares on 
the Lord, he will show us that he cares for us. If we call out to the Lord and cry out to him, he will answer us and he will tell us great and unsearchable things that we do not know. If we confess our sins, God is faithful, he is just, and he will cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. God will place our sins as far as the east is from the west when we confess them to him and he will not bring them back up as a to be used as a weapon, a baseball bat against us to discourage us and defeat us. We know if we will pray about everything and not worry about anything, we know with prayer and petition and thanksgiving that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we remain in Jesus, he will remain in us and we will be able to bear much fruit. If we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, if we think about God in all our ways, he will make our path straight. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. We can trust in God's faithfulness. We can rejoice in his grace. We can trust in his faithfulness. And as we spend time rejoicing in him and trusting in his faithfulness, then we're able to live in God's strength. To live in his strength as Paul was encouraging these believers, get back to grace. Stop trying to work your way or earn your way to God. Stop trying to be approved by God by your works for God. Get back to grace. As Jesus said, believing that we work our way to God is like a heavy burden, a yoke that we can't bear. That's why he said, come to me all who are weary and have your burden and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me because I, my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you'll find rest for your souls. Don't try to work your way to God. It's not going to work. Get back to grace. Live in God's strength. God's placed his Holy Spirit in us to empower us to live his way, to do all the good works that he's prepared for us to do. Listen, it's a challenge each day to rejoice in God's grace, to trust in his faithfulness, and to live in God's strength. As Christ followers, we know part of the reason for this challenge is spiritual warfare is real. Our enemy, Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. That means you and me. He does not want us to be blessed by God. And he doesn't want us to be a blessing to others for God. He doesn't want the difference that Christ makes in us to shine out through us. And so he is constantly, as we see here in this testimony, this passage, he constantly lies to us, accuses us, tempts us, because he is trying in every way possible to separate, to divide, to pull us away from God, his people, and his praise, his word. He's wanting to pull us away from our trust in the Lord. He's wanting to pull us away from the truth of this word. He's wanting to pull us away from one another. And so we understand and realize this. We know the battle of spiritual warfare is fought in our minds. We know that we think, we feel, we act, but understand and know that our enemy knows this as well. Our enemy knows we think and we feel and we act. Our enemy knows that our beliefs determine our behavior. This is why he is constantly coming at us 
with his lies and accusations and temptations. He bombards our minds with his lies, accusations, and temptations every day in the hopes that we will believe his lies rather than God's truth. Because if we give in to his lies or accusations, if we believe what he's saying about us, which is always discouraging to us, because he wants to lead us away from God, or it puffs us up with pride because he wants to lead us away from God. If we believe what he says to us, what he says about us, then we'll begin to feel and act his way. Which leads to discouragement, division, and defeat. This is why Peter said, be alert and sober-minded. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. He watches and looks for just that point in time when we're weak, when we're distracted, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, when we're upset. When maybe there's some unforgiveness in our heart, when maybe there's some bitterness because of what someone's done to us or said to us. Maybe with some frustration from God because things aren't working out the way we want. And he prowls around and he waits just for that moment in time. And then he begins to fill our minds with his lies to try to ultimately steal, kill, and destroy us. Listen, Satan is not for you. He's not for your marriage. He's not for your children. He's not for your family. He's not for your relationships. He's not for your friendships. He's not for your walk with God. He's not for your worship of God. He's not for your witness for God. But thankfully, 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 we are victors in Christ Jesus. Amen? We're conquerors, more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We're overcomers in Christ Jesus. No weapon formed against us shall prosper, shall stand. If God is for us, no one or nothing can be against us. And so we know as we humbly follow Jesus by faith, he empowers us, which is what Paul was sharing. As we respond to this grace by faith, as we humbly follow Jesus by faith, he empowers us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. He empowers us to live wisely, not unwisely, making the most of the time that God gives us because we know the days are evil. He empowers us to love one another as Christ loves us. He empowers us to shine the light of Christ within us so that others may see our good deeds, our good works, and give glory to our Heavenly Father. He empowers us to understand and do the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. He empowers us to do all the good works that God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. It's impossible for us to live for God apart from God's strength. It's impossible for us to live for God apart from God's grace. And thankfully, God doesn't ask us to even try. We can be strong in the Lord and in His mighty strength. You see, we can do all things through Christ. Why? Because He strengthens us. Greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. His grace is sufficient for us. And once again, His power is perfected in our weakness. By grace are we saved through faith. 
It's a gift of God, not by works, so that none of us can boast. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Worship team's going to come, and they're going to lead in this time of invitation. And it's an opportunity for us to respond to the Lord again in obedience to the teaching and the truth of his word, the Holy Spirit speaking to each of us different ways. But it's the same Holy Spirit speaking to us here in person, those who are streaming online. And this is our response to the Lord. Our pastors, our ministers will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you, introduce you to Jesus. The altar is open as it always is. You want to come and kneel and do business with the Father? Maybe it's just to spend time rejoicing in God's grace. Maybe it's to spend time just renewing your trust and his faithfulness to you. To give him praise for the ways that he has revealed his faithfulness to you this week, maybe this past weekend, maybe even this morning. Or maybe it's once again to turn to the Lord and ask for his strength to empower you to live his way. To do the good works that he has prepared ahead of time for you to do in his strength for his glory. If you want to pray with or over a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling, this is our opportunity, opportunity to be an encourager, to be a minister, to be a servant, to show our love for one another by praying with and for one another. And as we share each Sunday, if you've yet to receive God's gift of salvation, once again the gospel has been presented, this gift of salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, and the opportunity for you to enter into a relationship with God has been made available by Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross of Calvary. And you receive this grand gift of salvation by simply repenting of your sins. That means just turning away from your sin, acknowledging that you're a sinner and you need a Savior and you believe Jesus is your Savior by confessing your sins to God and just simply crying out and asking God to save you change you from the inside out, and he will do just that. It's the greatest decision you can make. We would love to rejoice with you in that decision. We would love to help you through that decision. God is speaking. Let's respond in obedience to him. Let's stand and say yes to the Father.